0: Happy Saturday. It is March 20th, 2021, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker, the style editor of Airmail.
1: I'm Michael Haney, one of the deputy editors here at Airmail. Ashley, welcome. Good morning and happy almost spring.
0: Happy almost spring, Michael. Now, you'll never believe it, but just five minutes ago, I was dancing around my bedroom, feeling very excited because I have been invited on a trip to London in June.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm. Good for you.
0: I mean, who knows if I'll be going, but I'm choosing to remain optimistic here. I
1: think London is, that's a great target to look forward to. Can you take me with you?
0: Michael, where I go, you go, okay? You gotta come.
1: (laughs) I'm, I mean, we could do it remotely, right? You know, we've been doing it remotely the whole time. Why don't we do it on location from London?
0: Better yet, from our newsstand in London on Children's Streets, Shreeji, come on, we'll be there. If you guys haven't been to Perfect. visit us, please pop by. We've done a really fun partnership in London um, at a newsstand called Shriji, and it's the, the coolest place ever. And we've never seen it in person because it opened in the middle of the pandemic. So we got to get there.
1: Wow. So, okay, I'll just... See you in London in two, three months.
0: Look, Michael, the world is opening up again. I'm feeling very positive. I'm feeling optimistic. Now, you and I do not have the jab yet, but who knows? It it could happen by next week. You never know.
1: And I know our audience has been hearing us talk about the the lack of a jab. And this week, you put it all out there. You put it in the issue this week about, you know, that you and I are the last people on earth, probably not on earth, (laughs) but you're the last people in, in New York, probably.
0: Right? Yeah. Look, we don't begrudge anyone who's gotten a vaccine. A shot in the arm is good for all of us, right? It's making us all safer. But at a certain point, Michael, I think you and I are feeling a little bit like suckers because it does seem like many other Manhattanites have had it. So that that's basically all I wrote about. It's just that feeling like, are we being idiots by trying to play by the rules? We don't, you know, time shall tell. If I get COVID next week, we'll have our answer. Don't talk like that. I won't. I won't. <laughs> Anyway, so I had to get into that a little bit this week, thanks to my fearless editor for the world's best headline. What what was it, Michael? It was, This is Bullshot?
1: This is Bullshot.
0: (laughs) If that story performs well, we will know why.
1: Well, yeah. If it performs well, it's because of what's, what the content of it is. But you know what? I was thinking I, there was speaking of like sort of like all this remoteness, everything we're going through. There's two things that I saw this morning. I wasn't dancing around my bedroom this morning because I'm going to London. I was kind of laughing to myself because I found there were two stories that, that came across the wire this morning that I thought I was almost going to try this out on you. But first of all, there's a, there's a, there's a new app that's been developed. It's kind of like a zoom escaper. That's what it's called. And it, you know how you're, you're stuck on a Zoom call and you just kind of want to get off like back in the day i don't know if you did this but like you'd be talking on your phone and be like oh wait bad connection and then you would just just decide to like click off right
0: that's my signature move
1: exactly well now this guy has developed an app called the Zoom Escaper and you can if say you want to like this this zoom is just this is over right you just want to get off you can play it, can, it replicates sound the sound of a bad connection like a modern day tech upgrade of like a rustle of a, of, a, of a plastic wrapper right like oh, oh my 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 wifi must be going out and it's like you can just click off. Uh. So but the good thing is it gives you a whole range of weird sounds. Some of them, which you might not want to use. One of which is it sounds like a man is urinating maybe like the, in the bathroom. Oh,
0: God, really? Please tell me there's not yeah. a Jeffrey Tubin function.
1: No, but there is one where it sounds like a man in the background is crying. Oh, my so God. You could just like, you know, which was almost worth to play those and then see the reactions of the people on your Zoom call. But so maybe we should be getting Zoom escape for our next editorial meeting.
0: Michael, this is good old fashioned American ingenuity at its finest. I love it. Let's try it out and see how it goes over.
1: Yeah. And we should record it and then post it, right?
0: Absolutely. We'll put it up on our...
1: Maybe on the Friday cocktail with, with Graydon that we do every Friday.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, great idea. That would be funny. Let's hope everyone's had a lot of cocktails before we pulled that out.
1: Yeah, so anyway, and, and it dovetails with, there's a story out of this zoo in Czechoslovakia where they had in the primate house, they were chimpanzees. So they were worried about they haven't been seeing people and see, interacting very much. So they the zoo officials set up a sort of video Zoom feed with another zoo in Czechoslovakia 100 200 miles away and of course what did we learn like the chimps at first they were very sort of like wary of this thing right and they sort of approached it sort of like dubiously now of course they stare at it all day and they sort of like they're like they're watching TV and they've even sort of like replicated human behavior of grabbing snacks and chewing on them while they're while they're watching while they're watching the other guy so other Chimps. So, anyway, I think it's a sure sign of a devolution of, of all of us, but or devolution, we might say, but there you go. That's my Zoom update for today. But we're only on audio right now.
0: Thank God, Michael. Thank God. The Zoom has really shown me, by the way, how much I've aged during the pandemic like, uh, to minimum 10 to 15 years in a year.
1: That is not true.
0: People will not recognize us by the time we're out of this thing. It's going to be, cr- by the way, you know, everyone I know is not everyone, but a lot of the people I know are going through a severe panic right now about the COVID-15. Have you noticed that? Tell me more. It's an amalgamation of factors. One, you have the advent of spring. Two, you have spring break. Several people are going to warmer spots. Three, you have the fact that many of us have gained their amount of weight, you know, eating carbs and drinking for the last year. So all of a sudden, every single person that it seems like I'm talking to, certainly all of my girls' text chains are all about this weight loss app called Noom, which is apparently Weight Watchers for the millennial set. Now I had to try it uh, because guess what, Michael? I too have put on the COVID 15, um, and it's really funny. It seems like you know the United States is collectively on a crash diet right now.
1: Yeah, I just I think like if I ever go back to the office, it's, I'm gonna have to adjust my eating habits because I'm just grazing all day. I feel like I walk into the kitchen every 20 minutes and just grab something.
0: It's called fog eating, according to the Noom app, Michael. Yeah, me too. It's like I, I'll just like breeze. Through through and have a slice of cheese about 18 times a day. And sure enough, that can cause one's pants not to fit properly. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought? It's very funny. Anyway, we're all there. It's like we're paying for the effects of the past year. And I, I for one, am looking forward to a more regimented way of life. You know, at Airmail, we all get lunch together most of the time. Sometimes Graydon will order in. Sometimes, you know, we'll go to Lifetime, which is like this health food store down the street from us in the village. But like, you know, four days out of five, we're at Citerella getting the turkey chili, and it's all very prescribed and very delicious. And I think that actually was really keeping us in, in fine form, Michael. We need to get back on that program.
1: Speaking of programs, you know, I just saw another story today, which I thought was, you know what they're doing in Spain?
0: What aren't they doing in Spain? They're
1: going to try out a four-day work week now.
0: Really? How do you feel about that?
1: I think that would make us all more productive and more of like, you know, here's my thing, like four-day work week, and you don't have to answer any work emails on those other three days, right? You would, would be so productive in those four days, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you know that there's a deadline when you have to shut it down. I mean, our fearless leader, Mr. Graydon Carter, has recently implemented a similar strategy at our office. We are now directed to ignore emails and slacks that we receive on the weekends in the interest of, you know, A, giving us some much appreciated time off, but also in terms of making us more fresh and productive on Monday mornings. And it is, it's very effective. And I've been uh, happily ignoring some of my colleagues. Still love you guys, but um, yeah. <laughs> I, I do think that it worked. By the way, I didn't even tell you this. I was so excited. I went skiing in the Berkshires this weekend with my kids. And all of a sudden, I got a Slack I did respond to because it was from m a one of our photo editors. And she said, Ashley, are you skiing at Catamount right now? And I turned around and there she was, Michael. She was at the table right next. It was so cool.
1: That's so funny. Yeah. What else we got in this this week's issue? Ah. a Great great show for her today. I know we do.
0: <laughs> we do? All right. We're going to pull something together, Michael. All right. Well, we could start by talking about Harry and Meghan and how they're perceived in Toronto. We have a great piece in the issue by Shannon Gavani, who is a reporter there who is enmeshed in the mulroney Markle circles of Toronto.
1: I thought Canadians like everyone. You're telling me like there's Canadian trash talkers.
0: Look, Michael, you know that the Canadians have done a good job with their own national PR. But I think from what from what this wonderful reporter tells me, people do look at Megan with a certain degree of skepticism. You know, she was not always the most popular cast member of Suits, apparently, based on her behavior on set. And, you know, she's had a fair amount of drama and a few falling outs with some of her Canadian friends. So we're going to hear much more about that. And then we have a great little close up by our friend and a morning meeting guest, Alec Lebrano, about Maurice Sacco, who is this really buzzy French chef uh, in Paris right now. He Will is- you
1: tell me about this? Because this is like, I, lo- I know we got such great reaction when Alex was on the show a couple weeks ago talking about those illicit Parisian French, uh, all, I guess we're all over the country, those illicit restaurant speakeasies that have popped up now that France is still in a very tight lockdown and people are sort of like sneaking into restaurants. But this is a great piece that about the hottest new chef in Paris, right? Yeah. Maurice Sacco. Maurice Sacco,
0: yeah. he's. 28 years old. He's incredibly telegenic. He's six feet, eight inches tall. And he this guy's the new face of French cuisine, according to Alec. He has a restaurant in Paris called Mosuke and it's uh, a Franco-African Japanese restaurant. And he won his first Michelin star just last week. He also won the Michelin's Young Chef Award. And then on February 28th, he made his debut on television. He's the host of a new show called Cuisine Ouverte, which means open kitchen. And it's a new series on France 3 that explores the country's terroir. You you know, it's gastronomic regions through their chefs and produce. And Sacco is just fantastic on television. And he's this, He's as good on the screen as he is in the kitchen, Michael. So uh, it's a really fun piece from Alec about this wonderful, optimistic young man who's full of creative ideas about what it means to eat and live well. And he's a a hero for these times. So I highly recommend reading the piece and then getting to know a little bit more about him. I personally cannot wait to visit his restaurant as soon as we can in Paris.
1: Yeah, what I love is, I mean, he's, you know, he's son of of West African immigrants, but as he says to Alex, you know, I'm a Frenchman of African origins who's fascinated by the cooking of Japan. And of all of these kitchens, so that really is this kind of 21st century Parisian cooking. So can't wait to 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 try it out.
0: Alec Lebrano has been raving about his food and his personality, and it's wonderful to have him in Aramale. Yeah,
1: and, and even I, I love like uh, his the restaurant, as Psycho points out. It's the name of it is a nod to. Uh, his passions, which is an amalgam of his own first name with that of Yasuke, which is the first and only African samurai, which I never knew there was an African samurai, who was an emancipated enslaved Mozambican who lived in 16th century Kyoto. So pretty amazing. Even that, I love the layers involved in that. So book us a table for two, three, even four.
0: We got to take Alec with us. You know, I have spent the past week reading Alex's memoir, which I sent to you. Have you had a chance to look at it?
1: I started to crack it yesterday. Then, of course, work got in the way.
0: Oh, so annoying when that happens. Oh, it's wonderful. It's called My Place at the Table. And, you know, Michael, it's just a great book for these times. For those of us that love to eat and live to eat, there's nothing better than immersing yourself in this story for a few hours. So it's coming out in June, but, you know, we get the advanced copies here at Airmail. That's why you depend on us. I think you can pre-order it now. Nice. And then we'll have them on the show. Then we'll have them on the show. Michael, you edited The View from here this week. We have a wonderful piece from one of our contributors, Sharon Sue. She's a portrait photographer based in Los Angeles, but she's written a really personal, take on what it's like to be an Asian American living in the middle of this pandemic. And obviously there have been so many events this week, instances of racism and and hate crimes against the Asian American community in Atlanta, for starters, but um, she really brings this all into context by talking about, you know, the rhetoric that started during the Trump administration, you know, uh, with regard to the coronavirus, calling it the China virus, and how, you know, the power of those racist words has trickled down and negatively impacted millions of Asian Americans in this country.
1: Yeah, it's a very intimate and uh, powerful piece. And, you know, she gets to this idea that she said, like, you know, I was born here, I grew up here, and And it almost, you know, when she first encounters, she talks about someone spitting on her last year in the wake of the the virus. And, you know, people telling her to go back to her country, she almost laughs it off. It just seemed like it can't really be racist. It's just someone being stupid. And then, of course, she goes through these last 12 months with, is this, am I encountering stupidity or racism? So very important piece and... and, powerfully written and I encourage everyone to read it.
0: Yeah, I think it really speaks to Sharon's generosity of spirit that she even asked that question, was it stupidity or racism? Like, it, it's pretty clear what's going on in many of these instances. She talks about Sharon Osborne, who's now under investigation by CBS for making remarks about her co-host, Julie Chen. She talks about Moira Moynihan, who was the daughter of the, you know, late liberal lion, Senator Daniel Moynihan of New York, screaming at an Asian man, and this was recorded on a cell phone and it went viral on social media, talking about all the random elderly people who have been beaten and shoved and even killed by racists for doing normal things in daylight. And then they're blamed for being at the wrong place at the wrong time. So Sharon does a really beautiful job of pulling this all together and giving us a bit of context and also talking about how her own experience as an American has been impacted by everything that's going on right now. All right, well, Michael... It turns out that you and I are going to have to show our faces in public soon because, uh, you know, the jab is just around the corner, at least for us, I hope, maybe. We have an expert who's going to talk to us about feeling and looking our very best. Uh, The inimitable Bobby Brown is joining us today. Well, Bobby, we are so thrilled to have you here on Morning Meeting. Not only are you an icon for me personally, I've been wearing Bobby Brown cosmetics since probably not that long after you launched in the 90s. Um, and now I'm obsessed with everything Jones Road. Can you tell I'm wearing my my balm right now? My amazing eye balm. It
2: is amazing when you just do a little bit how much better you look and feel.
0: Well, I feel like that's what you've kind of... It, Mike and I were talking about it and we had an incredible response to your piece in Airmail last week about, you know, your keys to the good life. It turns out everyone wants to live the Bobby Brown life. Bye. <laughs> But it, it struck me of how incredibly ahead of the curve you were. You know, 25 years ago, you were already promoting an idea of beauty that was so much truer to what women actually are like. What's it like for you now to sort of see culture at large being completely aligned with where you
2: were in 1995? Well, it's it's kind of funny because especially someone who's in their 60s who's you know lived my same authentic life from day one, and now I just I see myself in a lot of the younger the younger generation because you know what, it's not about pretense and it's really just about being comfortable with who you are and not being perfect and being okay with that and realizing you are perfect because you are you. And that's always been my philosophy.
0: Okay, Bobby, for those of us who have been spending lockdown, drinking wine and eating carbs, you are a wellness expert. Uh, How have you been handling your diet and exercise and all of those pieces? And what are your best, you know, what's your best advice for me
2: and Michael? Well, first of all, I have spent the, you know, the past year as, as a health coach, as someone has you know, kind of started my life dieting and being on every cleanse possible and friends with every wellness doctor. I've lost 10 pounds this year because I walk regularly like I'm not doing boot camp and and hit and all these things where I hurt myself and I stop I walk regularly I do yoga you know when I can inside and I started giving my permission to eat a carb and eat things, and I don't drink wine. I drink vodka or tequila, but just the article not at the same time. And because I find that when I drink wine, and this is the health coach in me, when I drink wine, then I wanna eat French fries and, you know, desserts. And sometimes I choose to eat pizza and drink wine with my family. And I know the next day I'm not going to feel good, but I choose to do it. And when I don't feel good, I just go back to my normal eating, not my starving. And I drink a lot of water. Water really makes a big difference. So I, I think giving yourself permission to eat the best food out there. I mean, so don't just eat Wonder Bread. I don't even know if they still make it, but choose what you're going to do and have one piece and not two, like figure out what works for you.
0: I spent $6 on organic blackberries yesterday, Michael. I
2: think that was probably a good move, right? It was really good because I do believe in organic and unfortunately they are expensive. I believe in local food when you can get it, though I eat blueberries all year long and I'm in New Jersey. And the great thing about, you know, blackberries and any berries, it's low sugar and it's high fiber. So it fills you up. So you can even put a little organic whipped cream on it. If you really want it to, you know, take it up a notch without putting ice cream on it.
1: Yeah. I have an important question.
2: Yeah. Because
1: Ashley and I have been talking about a year in Zoom world and I'm just, you know, I'm just going to say I'm right with you. I don't. But lately, I looked at my face the other day and I feel like you talk about, you know, you about picking a road and sticking with it. I feel like there's some gigantic furrows down my my brow now. I mean, how am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do for that? I'm not a guy who does moisturizers and things. All right.
2: I got to tell you something. Lighting is everything. And my, I'm wearing- You where can't I, see
1: now, can you? I'm in a dark, that's why I'm in a dark closet talking to you. No,
2: no, no. I always make sure the light is in front of me. And, you know, sometimes I have to move around. And, you know, I'm very sensitive to my neck, so I have to make sure it's not sidelit. Like, you know, being a makeup artist for all these years, I understand at least some lighting. And usually I get a blowout, I, you know, for these things. I have no one here and I'm a total mess, but I'm OK with it, especially since, you know, it's not a video. But you need really good lighting. And you also need, like, you have very deep set eyes, okay? I have deep set eyes too. So I put a little bit, like for the Zoom things, I put a little bit of corrector. And honestly, a lot of my friends that spend their life on Zoom, you know, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, Elvis Duran, they're always calling me saying, I don't want to wear makeup. I just want to look better. So I'm in the middle of making a new product for my dad, which is, he's 86, by the way, a gel bronzer that's you
1: like go like this. Well, that's perfect. Perfect for my age.
2: Yeah, how old are you?
1: Eighty-five.
2: I'm sixty-three, and <laughs> I, you know what? I and I. I've made people be comfortable with lines in their face, and now I want everyone to be comfortable with their age. I, I like how
1: you said I had deep-set eyes. I think it's a way for saying I have bags under my eyes, but no, I appreciate
2: deep-set eyes. And it's all, like, it's all attitude. Like, I know. I, I know, because I used to feel bad about not looking like certain people, and I'm like, all right, that's just a waste of time.
0: I agree with you, Bobby. I'm turning 40 this year. I'm going to be loud and proud so about young. it.
2: You I thought you were, like, 20. And you. you. And you look like Giselle's younger sister. Oh, you're It's all my Jones
0: Road beauty. Can you tell? Uh Um, but I agree with you I think like what's the shame in it I I love the idea that aging is a good thing thank God we've made it this long and let's hope that we all make it to 86 right
2: and you know what and let's be healthy and you know you don't feel like when you get older it's like all right I'm a little more sore than normal was it the yoga class was it my walking what was it but I'm like okay if I'm sore guess what I'm just gonna stretch sometimes I'll take an Advil it won't kill me and just be positive and be nice if I could just get everyone to be nice the
0: best advice I ever got about beauty was from one of my classmates, like in high school. And she said, you know, the prettiest girl in the room is not the prettiest girl in the room. It's always the girl who feels the best about herself. It's all about
2: confidence, right? Yeah, and most of those pretty girls from when we were in high school, if you see them now, like they peak too soon. Like, I don't think.
1: That's why you have to go to your high school reunion. I do it- I did? Did you go? Right? Yeah, and it's like amazing. You're like, oh my god,
2: I know what but happened. I'm, I'm such an idiot. I brought the today show with me because I thought it would be really interesting. Yeah, and are you single? Married, two kids. I have two kids. Okay, yeah. Now I was gonna fix you up with my nephew. Oh,
1: Look at her. matchmaker, <laughs> no, I up in mind. find me a find, catch me a catch.
2: Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> now this is. See how fun it is that lockdown. If we would have done this, like in New York, everyone would have been very different.
1: Thank you, Bobby. Bye,
2: Bye guys. Good
1: Bye, Bobby. Bye-bye. Have a good
2: one. All right,
0: Michael. Let's get to the only real news story that matters right now: Oscar nominations. Go. 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 New York Times.
1: Look. For having, like everyone else, watched all these movies at home. I'm excited by what what made Best Picture, Juice and Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, or The Father, which I also haven't seen it, but I've heard nothing but raves about. I think this is going to be an exciting year. I think the Academy is going to get it together. They're going to do a broadcast. they said the other day that they're going to have presenters as well as nominees only in the audience. And maybe for once, it's going to be... There's a lot of new talent, Best New Director, uh, Lee Isaac Chung from Nari, Emerald Fennel for Promise Young Woman. To Chloe Zhao for Nomadland and even Thomas Vinterberg for another round so I mean talk about new talent breaking in as well as on the actor and actress category right
0: oh it's incredible it's such a great list it's here there's so much needed diversity of thought and background and experience and I'm super excited about all of these movies I mean the only question is like how am I supposed to pick a favorite between Minari Nomadland and Promising Young Woman I don't know we're going to move on and talk about Emerald Fennell and Promising Young Woman Alessandra saw this this week she loved it as much as I did just when you think you really understand what it's like to be a woman you see a movie like this and it reminds you that oh yeah there are all these layers and subtext and experiences you've lived through that have shaped your worldview in, in very fundamental ways I loved this movie I have loved Emerald Vanel since I first saw her in Call the Midwife yes that's true one of my favorite shows on the BBC boy what a rare and exceptional talent she is I mean we loved her in The Crown too but this is her directorial debut and it is you know in a word a triumph
1: yeah and I watch anything that has Carrie Mulligan in it I mean ever since ever since she did the uh, uh, an education oh with Peter so can't wait to see more of her and she's doing that new film with Bradley Cooper where she plays Leonard Bernstein's wife so um, uh, yeah she's just terrific and also you know you get the added bonus of I love how they use that riff from toxic the, the Britney Spears song just as kind of like the uh, the cue the music for it so mm-hmm. um, yeah terrific terrific piece
0: is it weird that I think that Emerald Fennell and I should be friends because I do <laughs>
1: Why do you think you should be friends?
0: I just feel like we would get along. Like, I think we have a similar sensibility and a sense of humor. Anyway, Emerald, if you ever want to hang out, I'm coming to London in June. Okay. Like I can make myself available.
1: I No, I I wasn't laughing at you. I just was, you know, we all have those feelings. Like, I just know we're meant to be friends, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we like if, if we were seated next to one another at a dinner party, it would not be a total disaster. Like, I think we would find something to talk about. I actually think she would be a really good addition to our airmail cocktail parties with Alessandra. Because we like to get together and have cocktails once a week in the summer, I, she, she just kind of belongs there. So Emerald, if you ever find yourself in New York, give us a call. Pop on by. Our office is in the village. We're happy to host.
1: One of these days, someone will take us up on the
0: offer, right? One of these days. She's probably friends with Graydon. That's like the great irony of this. I'm pretty sure we're going to get a Slack from Graydon saying, "Ashley, you do know that I'm in touch with her on a daily basis." And then i will say, "Oops, sorry about that." Um, sorry, Emerald. Sorry, Graydon. Anyway, moving on. Michael. One thing I did want to talk to you about, and I probably should have brought this up in the intro, is did you hear about this the uh, the passport thing? that's happening in the EU
1: the passport thing
0: the digital green certificate
1: is this uh, uh if you're if you're If you're vaxxed? Yeah,
0: it's if you're vaxxed. So this was just announced this week. And, you know, they're going to come up with a system to make it easier for vaccinated peeps travel throughout the European Union. This is good news, Michael. You know, I was talking to an Italian friend of mine this morning and he said, I just don't know if Italy can survive another summer without tourism. And it's essential that we get this together in time for the season because, you know, so many livelihoods and many of these European resort towns are contingent upon travelers, not just, you know, from the U.S. and, Russia and China and all these other huge markets, but also within Europe. So we, we've got to make it much more accessible for those who've been vaccinated to get around.
1: Yeah, that's great news. Great news. Do you have anything to recommend this week, Ashley?
0: Michael, I am in the thick of the wonderful new book from George Saunders, A Swim in a Pond in the Rain. As you know, George Saunders won the Booker Prize for Lincoln and the Bardo. I mean, he's, of all of the fiction writers, he's been one of my favorites since "Civil Warland and Bad Decline, which was his seminal debut collection of shorts stories. He's got this kind of odd, bizarre point of view always. And that's one of the things I love about him. But in his new book, uh, he talks about, he basically pulls together a collection of seminars on seven classic Russian stories. And he discusses what they reveal about the form of writing, but also about, you know, what it means to be a human. So Saunders has been teaching these stories for over 20 years. He's also a professor at Syracuse University. Again, talk about multitaskers. I envy. Uh, But he he shares his expertise and wisdom with all of us. And it's a really great read.
1: Yeah, he's a lovely writer and a lovely person. He wrote for us when I was at GQ. Andy Ward was his editor. I think, I mean, there are many wonderful qualities to his writing, but I think so much of it uh, is always informed by a humanity and uh, sort of like seeing, searching for, for the good in all people, which I think you, you see that in coming through his writing. So I can't wait to read that book. I finally read Lincoln in the Bardo during the lockdown.
0: I loved it too. Dense and sad, right? Totally heartbreaking, but wonderful. That's just kind of the thing we like, Michael. Dense, sad, heartbreaking, wonderful. That should be the tagline for morning meeting.
1: Oh, only some of the time. <laughs>
0: cool well what do you have for me michael
1: speaking of oscars i watched sound of metal have you seen this yet i have not sound of metal starring riz Ahmed who many of you know from the night of the hbo uh miniseries where he kind of broke through this is on amazon prime brilliant performance by riz who was nominated and also a heartbreaking performance by paul Ratchie a uh, plays a supporting role in here. It's basically about a, he plays a heavy metal drummer who loses his hearing, and then his sort of search for his identity has to give up his dreams, loses, uh, separates from his girlfriend. It's just, I mean, Ahmed's performance is sort of a real tour de force and what they do with the sound design in this is someone searches where his whole life has been about his hearing and music and now it's, it's it was so much of Ahmed's performance comes now through his eyes and his watching the world. Uh, but there's just some heartbreaking moments in it and uh, it's, it's at times it's so painful to watch because you don't know where it's going to go and I won't spoil anything but uh, it's just a really powerful beautiful beautiful movie.
0: Michael, you know what? You're reminding me of one of my favorite films of all time, which is Julian Schnabel's The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Did you see that?
1: Oh, yeah. Have you read the book?
0: Yeah, I love the book.
1: Ugh. Yeah, I love that film too, right? Mm,
0: he's such a great filmmaker. I really love his movie. It's Schnabel.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is just, it's, this is another one of those films that, you know, it just reminds you that, like, I think it was Roger Ebert said this one's like, movies are empathy machines. And this is certainly one of them, you know, you just sort of like how you so fully step into a man's character and, and feel everything he's feeling. So,
0: all right, well, sign me up. We now have our weekend order.
1: I'm signing up. And as this, this is, look, we're going to have our, we're going to have our countdown to Oscars. You and I are going to, like, kind of go through, I think we're the next four weeks as we build towards Oscars, we're going to discuss one a week or a few of them a week, right?
0: Perfect. Sounds great.
1: Hey, Ashley, I got one more thing. Speaking of, I think, stories that would make a great movie. Yeah. We've got a great lives this week about a guy named Charles Hill. I'm sure his life has already been optioned or there's a film being written about him. But he was, for over 45 years, the art detective that everyone turned to to help recover stolen artworks around the world. He died suddenly a couple weeks ago. He's 73 years old. And, you know, his professional world, as Milton Esterell writes this week, he often played a swaggering American. That was his cover with a loud mouth and a thick wall. And he would sort of go in search of these stolen artworks. His kind of Biggest recovery that he made was he was posing as a European agent of the Getty Museum some years ago, and, and he was working undercover to recover Edward munch The Scream, which had been stolen in 1994, and he recovered it. He went on to recover Vermeer's a Goya uh, that had been stolen in, from a Dublin home. He in 2002 he recovered Titian. So great, fascinating life. It's kind of like the opposite of monuments, man. This was the stolen art world, man. So great piece this week, and I'm sure, like I say, it's probably already be a movie.
0: Wow. okay. I'll we'll watch that one too. All right, Michael on that note. off to the weekend. thank you all for joining us and please Michael read us out.
1: Morning Meeting is produced by Airplay Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our editors are Graydon Carter and Alessandra Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan, and our deputy editors are Nathan King and Chris Garrett. Our CMO is Emily Davis, and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. The theme music is The Cute Monster by the buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please do subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on Airmail.news, which we update every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. We will be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, time, be sure and subscribe at Apple Music or Spotify. Most of all, thank you for joining us and happy spring.